All right, Mark chapter 7. If you have a Bible, find Mark chapter 7. In the Red Pew Bibles, this is page 842. And we are going to spend some time in the first 13 verses, Mark 7, 1 through 13. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, not washing hands. Very, very deep theological discussion. Um, it just doesn't seem to be something to make a huge deal out of. And uh, for us, reading this in 2017 seems like a pretty petty thing to argue about, unless you're a germaphobe. And um, then it's a really big issue, and I can relate to that. Um, but, but the Pharisees here are, are, are looking for anything to point out that Jesus is unorthodox. And so they're, they're looking for something, and so this is one of those things. Let's jump into verses 1 and 2. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So far, the... Pharisees have accused Jesus of many things. They've accused him of blasphemy. They've accused him of breaking the Sabbath, of eating with sinners, uh, of not fasting. So anything that they can use to delegitimize Jesus and what he's been doing, they, they pointed those things out. And so these were the very same leaders who knew that the scriptures were against bearing false witness, that the scriptures were against murder, yet those sins were inside of their hearts. Mark chapter 3, verse 6 reads this, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And so from very early on in Mark's gospel, we can see that the Pharisees were out to get rid of Jesus, to discredit Jesus. Now we have to keep in mind that Mark wrote this gospel with Gentiles in mind, which is why we can see from verses 3 and 4 that he recorded for us some Jewish background. Otherwise, if he was just catering to Jewish folks, he would not have to write this down. Verses 3 and 4, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, 
holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So we see that there are some rituals that they observe that were passed down as tradition from their elders. And we see this phrase, tradition of the elders, in verse 3, and we'll also see this again in verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? The tradition of the elders was supplemental to the law of God. And so we have God's law in the Old Testament. The law of God was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and we have it all in our Bible in the Old Testament. But what began to happen over time was that people added to the law. So you can imagine over time how many laws were added to God's law. Now, it wasn't that the people adding to the law had bad intentions or bad motivations. They were looking to follow God. And so they thought that they were doing something that would be helpful for everyone else to follow God in a, in a devout way, in a very meaningful way. But there's a problem when the laws that they've created are treated with the same authority are treated with the same importance as the laws which were given by God. And it's not that all the laws created by people are bad. Some are actually pretty good. But we need to understand that the laws created by people are not on the same footing. They are not on equal footing to the law of God in authority or in importance. And that's what the Pharisees ran into is that they, they thought that they would be equal, and so this causes trouble as they started to equate things that they as humans create in terms of law to be equivalent with the things from God, and, and they're not. And no matter how great our intentions are, our motivations are in creating laws that we have, we, we are not all-knowing, and we are not holy. We are fallen beings by nature. We're naughty by nature. I, I just couldn't resist. I, just, I, I grew up on 80s and 90s hip-hop. I just... I know I look like it, right? I'm like... But whatever we come up with, it's imperfect. Very well-intentioned many of the times. Really great motivations a lot of the times. But still flawed. Now here's an example. Where did the Pharisees get the idea of this washing before eating? Yes, their mothers. But also in Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21, they, they use this. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with it, its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord. They shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generation. Now, this was for priests to abide by. But they thought, you know what, if, if that's for priests, surely that practice 
or anything close to that practice while we eat, it'll be good for us. It'll be good for us too. It'll remind us that you know we're, we're entering into the Lord's presence, that we need to be thankful for this. This is an offering. And so you see that, yeah, the intentions are good. They want to they draw God into this. They want to be closer to God. So the, who, those who initially created those laws intended for those laws to help them in their reverence toward God. They wanted to take God's law really seriously, and they wanted to be devout followers of God. But God didn't give them those laws to follow. He gave it to the priests. And this is what the religious leaders did and continued to do for thousands of years. Thousands of years. So you can imagine how many laws there are to follow for an Orthodox Jew today. Do you, do you know the term oive? Like it came from this time when the laws were like, oive. Like it just, I'm totally kidding. Please don't. Say, hey, you know, my pastor said oive derived from. A Greek person would claim that it derived from Greek. But anyway, this isn't just a Jewish problem, right? And, and, and this is a problem that we have today in Christianity. The Christian church has many, many examples of this. And, and the challenge is to distinguish what is divine, God's word, and what is human, tradition. And oftentimes the, the disagreements people have is really over tradition. It's not over God's word. Whatever traditions we hold on to, and, and we, have, we have them, we all have them, it has to be submissive to God's word. We run into problems when we elevate our own traditions over the scriptures and we, and we mandate those traditions, not God's word. And here is how Matthew recorded this interaction between the Pharisees and the Jews. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? I, I like Jesus in this way that he, he doesn't pull any punches with the Pharisees. He just kind of lets them have it. And, and when, when looking at his most harsh interactions with people, his harshest are with the Pharisees, these religious leaders. He's, he's pretty gentle with others, but, but not so much with these religious hypocrites who look pious on the outside, but, but they're rotten on the inside. They did what seemed to be religiously reverent on the outward actions, but their hearts, they're, they're foul. Verse 6, and he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus quoted from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, a prophet who lived 600 years before Jesus was on the scene here. He was prophesied about Messiah 600 years before his birth. And the Pharisees proved the prophecies of Isaiah to be accurate, that their religion was shallow and, and that the religion they taught was made up by them. They did all this religious stuff, all these outward religious actions, but, but like the prophet Isaiah wrote, their hearts were far from God. You know, it's really hard to tell how healthy someone is just by looking at their outward appearance. And that's why we have physicals. 
Right? That's why we go in for our annual physical. It's because it's to figure out what's, what's really happening. Because you can look really good on the outside, but then something inside is not quite right. And that's why for any of us who are familiar with life insurance companies, they don't just kind of look at you and be like, premium rate. <laughs> like they don't do that, right? What, what do they do? It changes as you get older, I can tell you that. Right? Like, I, like the last time, you know, I, when I first had my insurance policy, I got it because I was married, and so I wanted to take care of my wife, and so I got this. And so four years later, I was like, every kid that came along, I had to up it, right? So like my last one, I had to up it. I never had that many tests. I had blood work done. I had, um, uh, I had to be hooked up to an EKG. They hooked me all up, and I had... Other fluids done, I'm not going to share. Um, I, had, I had to do all this stuff. I was like, are you kidding me? But they want to find out, like, hey, we're, they could tell just by looking at me on the outside, too. Like, yeah. We're gonna, but they want to make sure that they want to charge me more money. So they, they do all this stuff. Because you can't really tell everything about a person from the outside. And so it's similar to our spiritual health, just because you see somebody as acting pious, just because you see somebody as acting devout and you see them pray and you see them come up to communion, you see them lifting their hands in worship and all this kind of stuff. You see them in a small group. They even bring food to the small group halftime gathering and all this kind of stuff. Still unhealthy on the inside. Not anyone that brought food today. All of you guys are healthy, I know. If you're in uh, Jen and Eric's group, here. First Samuel 16, verse 7, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, you and I, we might be able to fool one another, but we can't fool God. And God is not as concerned with us calling each other out on our sins as much as he's concerned with the intent the motive of our heart behind what we do. See, he's, he's not as interested in us sniffing out other people's brokenness and telling other people how they should live as much as he's interested in how we obey and how we live out our righteousness for ourselves. See, these Pharisees here, they're, they're sin sniffers. They're just busy sniffing out sin, busy trying to figure out other people's sin, forgetting that they themselves, they're rotten. The Pharisees didn't know God as well as they thought they knew him. And they were too busy looking at what others did that they didn't bother looking deep within themselves, too caught up in what they could and couldn't do and what others could and couldn't do, forgetting to look at their own hearts just because they looked like godly people didn't mean that they actually were. And they fooled a lot of people because they were busy doing religious things, but they did not fool Jesus. They even fooled themselves. They were so convinced that they were doing the right things that they, they genuinely believed that what they did was right, but they weren't. And we all know people like this. And perhaps you're even one of these people. Convinced that we are right when, when we are so wrong. 
How would Jesus diagnose our hearts? That's a really important question to ask. It's, it's, it's not our diagnosis. It's Jesus' diagnosis of us because we don't even know that we're fooling ourselves sometimes. You know, when we go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes some medications, we're, we're given a dosage. We're given how often we are to take this medication, and, and it's prescribed depending on the medication and what we have going on with us and all this stuff, right, our, our weight and all this kind of stuff. It plays into some of these meds, and, and so we, we meet with the doctor, but then also upon discharge, we meet with the pharmacist who tells us about the medication and, and how much we're supposed to take and how often. The Pharisees did not listen to the doctor's orders or the pharmacist's orders. What they thought was, you know what? They prescribed to me a pill a day. I think taking two will even be better. My mom does this all the time. Oh, take two. In fact, if you taking two is better, you know, taking two every two hours would be even better. It'll work faster. And so rather than following God's prescription, his law, They started prescribing their own laws in higher doses and more frequency. Well, what happens when you take too much of a medication? You overdose. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And so their initial motives, their initial thoughts, they're good. Oh, yeah, this will work faster. This will be more intense. This will get us there. And they wanted to ensure that God's laws were adhered to, but they started adding more and more meds with more frequency. I get it. I get the mentality. As a religious leader, you want to help people follow God. The problem was that they gave the same amount of authority into their made-up rules as, as they gave to God's law and the original law of God inevitably changed because things kept getting added to it. The dosage got higher. The frequency got higher. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. The commandment of God was changed by their tradition. It still happens today. People distorting the commandments of God with their own tradition. So we have people who on one extreme, they throw out all the commandments and they toss out different words like love. So all the commandments are there and the the important thing is love because it's all about love. But then the definition for love is like, Anything. It's like love can mean whatever you want it to mean. There's no defined definition. And that's not what we see from Jesus either. That's not what he said about the law. What did Jesus say about the law? Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to abolish, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus fulfilled the law of God. He obeyed them. He did not throw them out. He did not redefine them. Jesus said in John chapter 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He 
He said in John chapter 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We are to keep God's commandments, not take any of it away, nor are we to add to it. And sometimes you can tell what traditions people hold on to right away, and other times it's, it's hard it's hard to see the, the differences there. There are people who believe that it's a sin for a follower of Jesus to have any alcohol. There are believers who believe that you can watch movies PG-13 and below. But anything R, even if it's about Jesus. Like, it's like, or they believe like dancing is not right. That's a sin. But... Don't read about David dancing, but it's a sin, right? Like, it's a sin. Or if you dress a certain way, or if you smoke, or if you like all these, these different things, and it's all different depending on which groups you're hanging out with. So there are a bunch of rules made up by people. They're not in the scriptures, but they're presented in such a way that it holds the same authority as the scriptures. And then these rule makers, they, they obligate people to follow their made-up rules. And in following these made-up rules, they think they're more like Jesus. But are they? Not according to Mark chapter 7. He lets the Pharisees have it. And regardless of where we are in this spectrum, whether it's far on one end where the law just doesn't matter, and so you, know, you throw it all out, it's just about love. Or it's on the other end where there are laws on top of laws on top of laws on top of God's laws and it, and it really boils down to this, whether wherever you are in this huge spectrum, it's, it boils down to self-righteousness. Believing oneself to be righteous. To determine for oneself what is righteous. One extreme is based off of their self-righteous ideology and the other extreme based off of the self-righteousness of their actions and their living, but all of it really just is self-righteousness. And Jesus has a parable for this. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, he quotes from the Psalms, None is righteous, no, not one. Yet there are so many in our world who believe in their self-righteousness, and they try to force people into the traditions that they hold. And when people don't agree with their self-righteousness, with their, their self-righteous traditions, then the other side is vilified, even though the scriptures don't vilify them. And so we have progressive liberalism on one end, 
where people believe that it's on equal footing with the scriptures when it's not, and then we have another side like the alt-right who believes like it's, it's them, and, and people need to distinguish between what is the word of God and what is tradition. Now going back to the beginnings of Mark chapter 7, we see what, that the tradition in question was that regarding of the washing of hands. It, it's not bad to wash hands. Right? Some would say it's rather good. I think it's good. It's, it's hygienic. It seems like a reasonable thing. But it isn't a commandment. And it is not to be obligated. See, see, people need not to be forced to wash their hands before eating. Don't tell my children this, okay? <laughs> but there are some good traditions. Some really good traditions. There, there are some really good preferences and customs. Those things are completely permissible, even if they aren't found in Scripture, as long as they don't clash with Scripture. And they're not forced on people as if they were Scripture. So if it doesn't clash with the Scriptures, it's permissible, but it's not obligatory. You can't force them on people. And if it's not obligatory, then it's optional. It's an optional thing. Then the story moves from tradition to a commandment, verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father and his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. What we have here is a person... Who has, made, who has sworn to give all that they have to God. Every possession that they have is dedicated to the service of God. It's korban. Meaning, his father and mother will not be able to receive any assistance for any, from any of his assets. And, and maybe this was done at a time when it didn't seem like a problem. And he had really good intentions behind this, that this person was really devout, he was a very generous person, his heart was in the right place, and this vow of giving everything he had to God, it just seemed really good at that time. And it will be fine to do this as long as his parents never needed it. Throughout the rest of their lives, this would seem perfectly fine. But what if they did need his help? What if things changed? These uncontrollable circumstances of life, they happen. One of the parents gets really sick. What, what if they had everything that they had stolen from them? What, what if their parents got into some legal troubles and they had to deal with those things? So circumstances change, and this genuine promise that he made before these people, these Pharisees, well, it prevented him from following a commandment of God to honor his father and his mother. But, you know, those resources are now frozen. They cannot be tapped into. Those are restricted funds that can't be used to help his parents out, which would be an honorable thing to do. The problem wasn't that this person dedicating all of his possessions to God was a bad person. The problem was the tradition of the Pharisees forcing him to supersede the commandment of God. That's the problem. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. 
See, the tradition forced him to break a commandment of God, and that's a no-no. The tradition is not equal to God's command. God's command is to honor your father and mother, and the Old Testament says that reviling one's father and mother is punishable by death, but their tradition didn't allow him to follow the commandments of honoring his parents, and so this has been an issue throughout history. What God says versus what people say. And Mark wrote down, for Moses said in verse 10, which is going back to God giving Moses the commandments directly, and he contrasts that with verse 11, but you say. Matthew wrote this, Matthew's account, Matthew 15, starting in verse 4, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father So for the sake of your traditions, you have made void the word of God. And Jesus said, you hypocrites. Hypocrisy is detestable. It is offensive to God. Our actions and our hearts, they they have to match. We must be able to differentiate between what is divine and authoritative from what we've created. What is divine is that Jesus reconciled sinful people to holy God. And when people put their own created tradition on equal standing with God, it, 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 it's put the weight of reconciliation on us, which is an impossibility. We can't reconcile ourselves to God. Now, why not? Because we're sinful and our hearts and actions are sinful, our hearts and actions, they need to match. Otherwise, that is hypocrisy. Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So heart and action. And we enter into this really deadly territory whenever we are self-righteous and we trust in ourselves. Now, thank God, our reconciliation with God is not based on our merits. Thank God that it's his grace and his mercy that we rely on. And yet so many people look to themselves when that is a path of brokenness. That is a path of darkness. What are we forcing others to do to believe that is not scriptural. The scriptures are sufficient and we don't have to add to it. There are things we can do to assist people with a deeper understanding of the scriptures. Like, here's, a, here's one that I like. Like exchanging rings in a marriage covenant. But that's optional, isn't it? Where in the scriptures is that? And so we have traditions. They're very good traditions. Here's another tradition that we as a church that we practice, like when we baptize people, we ask them to share their testimony. And the testimonies, they they bless everyone who hears them. It, It doesn't violate the scriptures to share the testimony before baptizing people. And we don't make what is permissible an obligation. So we don't refuse to baptize people who don't share their testimony. Right? Like, oh, you don't want to share it? Then we can't baptize you. It's a tradition that is subservient to the scriptures. 
And so we, we need to be careful about the legalism in church and piling on more and more rules on top of God's commandments. We also have to be careful about irreverence to God's law and not following his commandments, which I think is actually a larger struggle for churches in our context in the Bay Area. I, I think we struggle more with that than we do with like legalism. I, I don't hear the legalism part of it nearly as much in our church. But there are traditions of irreverence, which I think is something that we struggle with more. That some of us may have fallen victim to. And those are equally damaging to our faith. Now, traditions, they can be helpful and we don't have to throw all of them out. We, we just need to discern between what is tradition and what is scripture to be open to explore our own hearts and our own motivation, our own intents and attitudes. How much of what we believe is cultural, its preference, its custom versus what is scriptural? How often do we make what is optional into something that is obligatory and scriptural and how often do we make what is scriptural into something optional? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would give the gift of discernment to everyone in here to discern between what is tradition, custom, preference, to that which is your law. I pray, God, that you would give us a spirit of grace and mercy and compassion, that we would be open to your correction. In Jesus' name, amen.